Welcome to Carding the Garage. I'm Corey Cope. I'm Freddie Watt. Our Dark Castle Entertainment series continues. Holy shit. With, ironically, it's our number two. It's their number two as well. We have Steve Beck's 13 Ghosts. 13, not 12. <laughs> right. Another Bill Castle remake. This one, just like with Haunted Hill, is it's just got a very thin portion of the premise pulled into it. Title and uh, eight more words. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Along for the ride again, it, producing is Bob Zemeckis, Joel Silver, and Gil Adler. Funny enough is I, I think I think Bill Castle's daughter was involved in this one too, like we talked about last week. But this time around, it's uh, a big shift. It, you know, they've got one under their belt now. One of the things I thought was, you know, I, was kind of weird is, is how they, they spelled the movie. You know, they took the T and the E mm-hmm. of teen and made it a one and a three. And I know it's just cute for a poster and everything like that. But you know where it's really weird is like, you, if you're looking at the, the episode right now, it's spelled out as 13 ghosts because I didn't want to be searching for something and go, what the fuck is this? Correct. This is a Steve Beck of directing. This is a directorial debut. Um, he's known for doing a, for doing a ton of art direction on all of the big movies that we used to see when we were kids and into our beginning of our adult years um, for ILM. But he's chosen to come in and, and a movie that's really rich with, you know, visual effects, but it's got a ton of practical, just like Haunted Hill. And, you know, K&B guys are back again. And this time they were far busier than just leaving body parts everywhere. The ghosts that are created for this movie are so fucking good. And we'll get to those, but some, and they have some really fucking great names too. So as we talked about, <laughs> if you didn't know that Joel Silver was involved with these movies, just watch the opening of, of 13 ghosts. Right? Dude, <laughs> I, I look for a moment. Like I told you, I, I thought I was watching like a lost scene from Tango and Cash. <laughs> like they, they're in the prison break. They, somehow they ended up in a junkyard. And right off the bat, you are in this junkyard in this maze of stacked cars. Of course, all these military show, show up and they're pulling out their oh, weapons. And it's raining and it's, and it's just, fucking. And I jokingly said to you in a text, the music in this movie is like a mixtape of Joel Silver action movie scores. It's just pulled right out of Predator. And it kind of it shouldn't surprise me because of the kind of tone that they're setting up right at the beginning even though they're in a jungle of cars. Well, right. They're hunting for ghosts. Right. In a jungle of metal. It's a little heavy handed, but. It is a little heavy handed. We see Matthew Lillard, who is just a few years removed from his, his major role in Scream. Right. The thing that put him on the map. Yeah, for sure. Right. And a, a year before he does the first Scooby-Doo movie which really puts him, he, he, adults knew him. And then next thing you know, all the kids knew him. Right. And then of course he would move on and continue to play Shaggy all the way through. Gosh, he's still doing the voice now these days. And he is a standout in this movie. He's really good in it. And with, and for me, it was the first time I really got to see him not be Stu from Scream. Like he really just owned this role too. He, he's, a, he's a lot of fun in it too. Yeah, he do. He is by far the most fun in the movie, and you know the scenes. The scenes pop when he's when he's in them. Uh, yeah. Him and F. Murray Abraham, it, who is in this very first scene with him, 
this is where the movie is at its best. Yeah. I, I love that scene where it, right in the beginning where um, Lillard, you know, <laughs> basically pushes his head to the fucking ground out in the <laughs> middle of it and, and he's like, you lied to me. He's, you know, he's freaking out. I mean, the opening is super fun. Oh yeah. Again, after you saw this opening, you're, oh yeah, this is definitely a Joel Silver movie. Oh yeah. Like, like you said, you know, Matthew Lillard and F. Murray Abraham. And also we were introduced to M. Beth Davids who in this, who, that's something that they're really good about with this movie as so much, not as much with, with Haunted Hill. There are some horror movie pedigree in this. Again, M. Beth, you know her as Sheila in Army of Darkness. And of course, Matthew Lillard in the Scream movies. But And also, yeah, you know what? I'm going, not going to go out on a limb here. F. Murray Abraham, you're like, what horror movie has he been in? Amadeus, man, watch it again. It's a fucking horror movie. <laughs> right? Amadeus, dude, for me, I, I'm a giant fan of his. I mean, going back all the way to the big fix, um, but um, Innocent Man with Tom Selleck, yeah. uh, Surviving the Game, Ernest Dickerson's Surviving the Game with Ice-T, uh, Rucker Hauer, you know, F. Murray Abrams and that. I mean, dude, he's in a, he's in so much shit and he's always good, yes. always. In these days, he is on Mythic Quest on Apple+. Plus which I love the shit out of. I plugged it on the show before and I got so used to watching two seasons of him playing that. So when I was kind of getting back into the dramatic actor, that is F Murray Abraham and not kind of being farcy like he is on MQ. I was like, Oh, that's right. I forgot how great he is. And not that he's not wonderful on MQ because he's really fucking great, but he's really, he, he shows his comedic side in that. And this goes back to show him what a dramatic borderline lead he can be and he's really great in this too um but that opening scene man like, like you said it feels like tango and cash and all of a sudden shit goes as they say belly up <laughs> yeah no shit right the, the one other carryover too from the original 13 ghosts and, and, and the original 13 ghosts was it was a 3d movie and when you saw the movie theater you actually put 3d glasses on and but that was the way you saw the ghosts that was the whole spiel with the movie itself. You put those glasses on, you can see the ghost that carries over into this remake where they're out, have these goggles on these, but they're more like, <laughs> I got to go work in the garage. Safe, dude, they look like work. Yes, totally. Right. I swear <laughs> to God, I have, I think I still have a pair in one of my toolboxes in the garage that look exactly like that. Yeah. I, I texted you. That was my, that was, that was my like knock. I was like, really? They couldn't. Yeah. I mean, these glasses are like, you look at, they live and you, when you, Dude, if somebody walked up, you know, and you're you like, dude, those are the glasses from They Live. If someone walked up with the glasses they're wearing at 13 Ghosts, I'd ask them, were you just out cutting lumber? What are you doing with those glasses? What's <laughs> with those glasses? Yeah, they're they're the blue blockers of uh, of eye protection for, you can pick those up at any Home Depot or, or Lowe's. Right. We set up really quickly what Matthew Lewis's character is about. He's a psychic and he, poof. He, he, ch he channels some peeps, man. <laughs> he really so does. He's like an empath, right? Like, yeah. One of the ghosts that you first see early on is Juggernaut. He's in this opening scene. And it's it's nutty. The you know, Remember back in 97, I think it was? Probably around 97 is when John DeSantis, who plays Juggernaut, he was Lurch. And they're, they're trying to bring the Adams family back. But everybody on that was a they're they're trying to look like the original John Aston series. Apparently, he walked right into that casting call and said, "All right, this is Lurch." And the reason why I bring that up is because I want you to know how big this fucking guy is. Yeah, dude, he's huge. He is massive. 
what was I seeing? Uh, he was like six six two seventy or something like that. Something ridiculous. Well, dude, later in the movie when he's fucking tossing Lillard around, I mean, Jesus Christ, dude, he looks right. even bigger than that. Here's something nutty about that. So again, K and B with the effects, they, and this time it's not just body parts. They create this whole appliance. And when you see it, you think that when he's got all these holes in them, right? And you think it's just those appliances. No, hit that whole entire chest piece and arm pieces, that is that is not him. That is a rubber suit that they designed because they did a full body cast for him. When he's tossing Lillard around in that moment when midway through the third act, he can't see those scleral lenses and his eyes contacts, they, they completely blinded him. So when he, I was doing a little research and I found out he, uh, the first time we were trying to do the scene, he stepped on Matthew. Like, I was going to say, dude, we should, we, Hey Matt, let us know if you, how beat up you got during that sequence. Once that happened, they kind of worked it out to remedy the, that, that whole bit because I didn't know this information until after I'd seen the movie for this recent, you know, recent viewing. And I was like, Oh man, they did a great job showcasing it. Cause I, I wouldn't have known he couldn't see. And, you know, Melody's done enough of that kind of stuff. In fact, I bet her old job probably did the lenses for this movie. <laughs> when I saw that that story, I was like, holy shit, man. Well, no wonder, man. That, but that guy really went for it. And DeSantis is wonderful in the role. But what, what sucks is, that, and I wanted to kind of get to this early on, there's something that's kind of frustrating about the editing in this movie. It's, a, first of all, let's, I want to, before I get to the difficulties I have with some of the editing, the set is fucking rad. It's so great. Oh, yeah, man. The, the, the stars of this movie, no, no lie, are the, uh, is the set itself, yeah. the house, and, and the effects, the KMB stuff. It's, yeah. uh, that, that's, and I guess when, when it all comes down to it, that's why people came. It was for those reasons. Because right. when you look at the cast, it's like, well, who's the main draw here? Right. And the thing is, if you look, if you remember the the North American one sheet, anyway, none of those people are, are on the poster. No, nope, 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 nope. They did, not they at did all. A, the, that one of those rad collages of all the ghosts in the movie, right? Making up the face that you see screaming, which is fucking again, just like we mentioned with, uh, unlike what we mentioned with House on Haunted Hill, where that was kind of like a eh, kind of marketing campaign, right? This poster. I remember just seeing this poster in a movie theater going or up on up in the wall. I'm like, whoa, that's fucking cool. Right. Yeah. I mean, the poster totally grabbed me. Yeah. The the set is amazing. The, like you said, the KMB effects are amazing. The problem I was starting to mention is they do all these strobe flash transitions. You're getting not only is it ineffective, it gets to the point where it's annoying. And I gotta think there should have been like a an epilepsy warning. <laughs> the head of this because right it's it's rough man it's hard to, it, it takes away it, i almost feel like they were hiding stuff you know what i mean they were they were hiding maybe they didn't get the the coverage they wanted and i felt like they were i don't know i felt like they were hiding stuff well they used a lot of it in in haunted hill too and i think we had talked about that i think you hit it last week when you said it all you know it's very nine inch nails Marilyn Manson video style of lighting and, you know, right. they didn't realize that it's cool in a three minute video, but not like so much in a hundred and three yeah. minute movie. Yeah. At a certain point, you know, it's like, God, if they do that again, I'm going to go bang my head into the wall. Right. One of the other differences between this movie and the original 
is you got mood lighting in the original. This one, it's bright all the fucking time, like all the time. It's all glass too. And it's not ineffective. It's just that it, it really works and you kind of get what's going on. You're having fun and the strobe flashes start happening and it's annoying because I want to see the work that went into it. I want to see the set clear. I, the, the, the times, the only times you really get to see the set clear is when there's no ghosts around, but that kind of defeats the purpose, right? Yes. It's called 13 ghosts for a reason. I want to see the ghost stop killing me with these. It's like, you know how you, you know how when you, 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 every once in a while you have like a brain fart when you go to check to see if a flashlight light works and you, you're actually looking at the flashlight as you turn it on. It's like that, like boom, 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 boom. And it's far more of a machine gun effect in this than it is on Haunted Hill. But what's weird is how bright this movie is. It's more noticeable, those flashes, in a very bright movie like this as opposed to a dark movie like the Haunted Hill remake. You think that those those flashes of light would be more jarring in a dark movie, but no, it's more jarring here. Because I think I'm paying attention more closely to the work. And man, dude, I, I love the ghost work in it, it the, the makeup, the appliances. And considering how bright it is, you know how it is sometimes when you watch a movie, you, you become very fond of makeup work and then you'll see stills from it where it's just, you you see how colorful it is, but you know they made it that way so it would look a certain way on film. And this, I don't feel like something, somebody's too blue or, or you know what I mean? You get that too much with, like, with, with ghost characters. Mm-hmm. There's a variance between the ghosts too. They all don't have the same pigment, which is nice. So it's not just the differences in structure, like, you know, we talked about there, there are 13 ghosts in this and they all have very distinct names. Right. They're like the, like the devil's tarot cards. Right. Right. <laughs> right. You know, in my mind, I remembered it that way. Um, you know, when, when, like when they're, I remember like a tarot card, like the juggernaut right. <laughs> and it was like, you know, and, and they, they kind of do that, but they literally show you the ghost, but uh, that's, you know, it, but dude, I mean, everything leading up, till they get to that house after this opening it is really fun. And I want to say, I, I didn't realize until last night after we, I watched the movie, I was looking at, and I didn't realize James Gunn, I had a writing credit, an uncredited writer on this. And, and I feel yeah. like knowing James Gunn's work, I can kind of figure out what stuff maybe he had his hands <laughs> in. <laughs> right. 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 But the, the ghosts are very impressive and, and they, and they do, they all look super cool because they do look, they're all very individual and unique looking. And like you said, they're all in there with their own lighting and, you know, and so when you see what you know, exactly, they don't have to keep telling you, you know, cause you're only seeing them partially, right? Like whoever has the glasses sees the ghosts and, you know, Shannon Elizabeth doesn't have the glasses on, but she's with Matthew Lillard and he's like, run that way, right. <laughs> which I thought was fun. Like all that misdirection is super cool. And like, you know, where are we running from? Just trust me, run. <laughs> yeah, it's like the scene where Shannon is in the mirror, right? That's yep. a pretty great shot. Yep. And she's, you know, primping herself and, and you see the ghost sort of materialize in the mirror. She can't see it, but we can see it. And super cool. Like yeah. They did a lot of really cool stuff like that. And she's the, I think she's the first ghost we see in the house, isn't it? Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. And, and do amazing makeup job in this. The ghost is like, she's naked, but, but the thing is about it is if, if you, if you know what the character is about, it doesn't, it's right. You, you know, you understand why she is and why the, why she's discovered, why we first really see her in the bathroom like that. It's, Right. And speaking of badass contacts, her contacts are so great. Oh yeah, man. And it's it's almost like she doesn't know she's a ghost and everything like that. It's really fucking cool. 
One of the things that's kind of disappointing though is all the, as we talk about, we're all very fond of the the different ghosts and the makeup, but there are hero ghosts in this. Like we already mentioned Juggernaut. He's in it a lot. The the bound woman we see quite a bit and she's probably the most impressive one because that poor girl, man, <laughs> she had to wear that fucking thing. You know, that thing was not light. Right. Unfortunately, you don't get to see them all together until the very end. And so, I mean, for the sake of telling the story, fine, I understand. But I, I really feel like there's some amazing artistry and craftsmanship that went into the design. And for the most part, we only see like three or four of the 13 ghosts really well. And sometimes I feel like maybe they were background. You, you know how you know, you know when you see background characters in The Walking Dead where they're just wearing a mask and they're, there's no real hero makeup on them. And the thing is, all 13 of the people and performers in this that play these ghosts really deserve a little more screen time. And that's why I think that's why those flashes are kind of annoying because there's the work is there. And I don't know if you saw the interview that's on the shout release, but Matthew Harrison, who plays Damon, he dies at the very beginning. Mm-hmm. And he's really good in this. I mean, you know him from SG1 and some other things. He, he talks about the fact that he's got the line in it. He says 13 ghosts. He's the first one to say the line because, oh man, you got the trailer line. You're, you're going to be in the trailer. But his death, unfortunately, gets blocked by Matthew Lillard. So you don't even see half of the gag that they pull off with, with the cutthroat, which sucks, man. <laughs> so I just feel like, I feel like that's where there, it suffers a little bit from those things. And I had seen this probably about two months ago, but not the, not the shout release. I just got recently got this. I think I liked it more and I appreciate it more and more in hindsight than yeah, after seeing the interviews and watching the BTS. And because I don't think I've ever seen the BTS awards prior to this week. Right. But it really sells such a different vibe and, uh, of the movie. And just like Ohana Hill, even though there's a two William Castle takes, they do something very similar, even though the two movies, the two William Castle movies are drastically different. But the cast in this one is a little more recognizable. And we talked about Tony Shalhoub. So you got Monk in this. Uh, Shannon Elizabeth, who you mentioned earlier. And Rod Digga. Okay. <laughs> right? Rod Digga, was, this was, was this the first thing she did acting-wise? I think it... I think really this is the only thing she did acting-wise out of other than yeah. music videos. A few music videos. Oh, no. She was in that that Carmen hip-hop, the hip-hopera that, that MTV did years ago. She was in that. Oh yeah. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, other than that, I mean, I can't, I remember she's in a movie, with, uh, she's in a couple of Busta Rhymes videos is really, that's where I knew her from when I saw the movie. Yeah. She's part of flip mode squad. Yeah. That's why. Yeah. Yeah. And so we're not, I'm not surprised that she's here and, you know, considering Busta was in what's the Halloween resurrection. That was the last one, right? Halloween. Yep. That was uh uh-huh. right. Which was after this. So <laughs> Wasn't he a narc also? Carnahan's narc? Yeah, Busta. Uh, yeah, he's a narc. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then Finding Force, or he was actually really good in that, actually, considering. No, he's good. In, he's, a, he's good in narc. <laughs> Let's talk about a man whose work, and here we are with another Brit behind the lens, Gail Tattersall. His work in this is so good. Like, really good. Like I said before, how do you take a, how do you make a ghost movie be this well lit, this bright? But it works, man. It really does. Uh, we shouldn't be surprised, right? I mean, Tank Girl is a... Right. That's His work is pretty variable. It's like Hideaway is really good. I've talked about Hideaway before. Tank Girl. The commitments, dude. Yeah. Well, look how different all those movies are. Pushing 10 is another one, too. That's a... 
I didn't discover that one until later. It's not great, but it looks good. <laughs> he also shot two of my favorite trashy Mickey Rourke movies, Homeboy and Wild Orchid. <laughs> you know, he shot the Jack Bull too, the the Western, uh, the sort of Western with Kuzak that John Badham did. But, uh, you know, the, the super impressive thing is, dude, how do you shoot this? You can talk about reflections, yes. right? Shooting this set. Maybe that's what the strobe is about. No, because you're getting the strobe when the camera wasn't moving. I don't know. Yeah, it's weird. Yeah. But, but it's, I, I'm, I was just super impressed. God, dude, can you imagine what a pain in the ass that would be? I, the, the blocking for this movie must have been like. Right? <laughs> I couldn't even imagine. And you, got, and, you got, and you got all these strikes from You got a kid running around on a scooter. No, no, don't go, Bobby. Don't no, Bobby. Oh, Bobby. Bobby, we're seeing your reflection, Bobby. Stay out. Don't stay on that side, Bobby. Bobby. I can only imagine what was happening on set. And, and he, but you know, he's a pretty mellow dude. So yeah, he does. He does some wonderful work in this. And I gotta think there might there probably is some kind of visual effects going on. And it probably explains why they used to you back for this movie being such a again such a effects heavy movie. And he knows how to block and deal with reflections and things like that too. So. I've always felt like, you know, it doesn't have to be an effects heavy movie for visual effects. Art director likes Steve Beck to excel in, in the director's chair. Oh yeah. Because they're, they, they are DPs in their own right. They, they, they all, I mean, almost every visual effects artist is well-versed in camera work and understanding of lenses and what they mean on screen because they need to be. So I think that's probably why Steve was a great choice for this. And his work with Gail obviously shows that, dude, I didn't see a camera anywhere, did you? <laughs> so, and that's hard to do. Gail's work in this is exceptional and it really helps. So again, like one of the things that's so impressive is you have a movie, a ghost movie that's not in constant darkness. And, and that's why another reason why the ghosts are, it's cool because you get to see ghosts in a different way. And yes, there are jump scares in it. There are scary moments in there. It's still there. But I like, like we talked about the Shan Elizabeth scene in the bathroom. When that ghost shows up, she just kind of casually, almost like dollies into the shot on the left side. You know what I mean? She doesn't just, there's no scary moment. She just kind of steps in. No. Ghost stories don't always have to be startling. They don't have to have that kind of moment. Um, which also tells me that maybe Joel Silver wasn't as hands-on as he was me with Haunted Hill. Haunted Hill is the complete opposite of this. Like yeah. there are points in Haunted Hill that's so dark, you can barely tell what's going on. <laughs> Speaking of hiding things. Right? Yeah, right. Like, uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, there's a, there's some light in the background coming out of a door and then everything else is, you know, you sort of see people moving through and you're like, where are they? Yeah. But uh, yeah, in this movie, <laughs> dude, you always know where they're at because- Literally, you can see, it's like Wonder Woman's invisible house, right? Right. <laughs> like, like from the old cartoon, well, let's go get my invisible jet. Well, how do we find it, Wonder Woman? <laughs> then you could see her flying through the skies. <laughs> I'm like, that's weird. You know, but this house is, that's, that's what this house is. Right. You know what? Let me ask you a question because this bothered me, right? So, and I thought for sure it was going to be a story point and maybe it's something that they cut up, but you know. Shalhoub's character, he says, I'm just a math teacher. He says it early on. And I'm thinking, okay, well, at some point there's going to be a payoff for that. And there's Mm. never is, you know, and, and then Matthew Littler has to give this ridiculous exposition speech about all the incantations that are written, you know, the spells that are written on the glass, which as soon as I saw them, I'm like, oh, they're containment spells. Right. Duh. But like, 
nobody else knew that. Like it took Lillard to explain it to a, like, is, is, is I'm, I was just like, is everybody stupid? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, why are they so dumb? This movie, you know, I know we talk about budgets a lot cause it, and, and the relativity to how well it was received Why that, you know, talking about the box office as well. It didn't do poorly, it did 68 million and it did come out around, it was a Halloween release, but here's the thing that sucks. It was October 26, 2001. So we were still kind of in disarray. Yeah, man, reeling. Yeah. Sure. And uh, what was interesting is uh, John DeSantis interview said when they were doing pickups, they were doing uh, um, reshoots on 9-11. I bet. Oh, man. Yeah. So he talked briefly about how Steve Beck had family in New York. So like, and plus the whole world, we're the whole country. We were all distracted and kind of in a haze because all that stuff was happening. And anytime I see a movie, it's released, you know, after the summer in 2001, it's, I, it's, it's got an asterisk next to it. You know, isn't it's how close to nine 11 were you? It's, it's weird for to talk about it right now. And I know it's going to come up a lot between now and September because it's the 20th anniversary. It's one of those movies like, yeah, it did some dollars. It makes you wonder, could this movie have done a little bit better if people... Well, people were scared to go to movie theaters. Yeah. I remember like, I remember the first movie I saw after 9-11 and it was like three weeks after because I think the release date had been pushed, but it was training day. Oh, geez. And I remember being super paranoid, dude. Like, I was like, God, you know, and I kept looking at the exits like... Could I get the fuck out of here if something bad happened? Honest God, yeah. I remember, and it kind of affected my my experience of watching the movie. Like, I liked it, but I was like, I just wanted it to be over. I started having like, you know, an anxiety attack in the theater. Like, God damn it, just fucking, just fucking kill him. Just whatever is going to happen, just fucking happen. Kill him in the bathtub. Pushing is still. I don't give a <laughs> shit. Let's get out of here. When I was doing a little more research on the movie, it's funny how they're talking about the 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 sound design was obnoxious. Like that was a quote, obnoxious sound design. I'm like, yeah, I've talked about before Dane tracks. So, you know, I, I spent some time with them and they're a wonderful group of people and they know what they're doing. If the sound design became obnoxious, it wasn't from them. <laughs> they were asked to, to change things and do things a certain way. Lack of scares. Okay. Does there need to be uh, scares in, in a movie like this? Sometimes a ghost story doesn't need scares. Well, um, you know? I feel like the lack of scares are, it's all by, it's all, it's all, you know, as cool as the design of the movie is, it's also literally the biggest problem is because how can there be scares when you can see through the set? Right. So what, what is so awesome about the movie is also what is so ridiculous about the movie and kind of ruins some stuff because there's nowhere to hide. There are no jump scares really, because unless you put the glass, you know, the glasses on. I mean, and that's the thing is like, yeah. we can't have everybody wearing glasses. Right. So yeah, it, it, it does create some problems. I, I, I could understand that being legitimate. Right. But. So that may be where they're trying to create false scares with those strobe flashes. Maybe. Yeah. That's what I'm thinking. You know, it's a react, you know, it's something that suppose, you know, I guess maybe they're, you're not really supposed to notice them, but it's supposed to affect your brain subliminally right. like, Oh, I should be, you know, oh, I should be scared. Right. What, what just happened? Right. And you're getting those strikes too, those sound strikes. That's maybe yeah. where the obnoxious sound design complaints coming from because it is pretty machine gun. Like it happens a lot. Usually when you have bad sound in a movie, people go, oh, that movie looked like shit, <laughs> you know, because the sound is always there to help sell the image. As far as the other criticisms and everything like that, you know, we always thought like, we'll poke around and look at reviews from the time. 
Well, Slant Magazine, I thought was interesting. It said, it did mention the whole lack of scares and pretty, you know, kind of like the plot twists aren't exactly twists. What I found interesting was in that particular review, they talked about the art direction and how good it was, but also stating that it was underutilized. And I'm like, and that's kind of what we were saying. It's, I, I, we feel like there's a lot going on there and we weren't, you know, we weren't treated to what we should have been treated. Right. <laughs> they have to worry about the blocking and camera reflections and crew reflections and a whole bunch of shit that you just can't fathom when you have never spent any time on a set. Right. I mean, I feel like, you know, design why, you know, they probably, there's things that like, well, you know, we, we wanted to do this, but you know, because what we, we can't, we can't, now we can't do that because there's no way to shoot it. And uh, you know, it happens. I was trying to figure out how long is this movie? 91 minutes. So I'm, I'm sure there was a lot of, uh, because I, I guarantee all those containment spells and all this, I, I guarantee there, there, if we had, if we had an original script, there's probably scenes in that explain exactly, you know, and there are probably more key points, but it probably got so bogged down and it was like, oh, do we need this minutia? Fuck no, we need more strobe flashes and sound cues. And, you know, that's, that's what made the day. Like the audiences, they didn't think we needed to know what all those spells were. Like if they were particular to each one of the 13 ghosts, you know, so who knows? One of the things that happens a lot in this in when you're first introduced to the characters and then maybe once or twice, as far as the ghosts go, if you notice that you see them move really fast and then as they're kind of describing them, you'll next time you see them, you get that flash and then they're slow mowing and looking you at the camera. That felt like a studio note to me. I felt like they said, we want to see those characters. Oh yeah. But they introduced them and they showcase them in the same way. I think they were limited on how much coverage they had for that kind of stuff, which is why you get the focus on, on the bound woman and, and juggernaut and the hammer. Now, let's talk about the hammer for a second of all the ghosts. I mean, we were talking about Juggernaut and the Bound Woman. Holy shit, dude. Even though we mentioned Juggernaut and Juggernaut's in the beginning, and he's in the house also, but I really feel like the hammer and is the one that gets the lot the most screen time. What's crazy about the hammer is that Herbert Duncanson, who is the performer, the actor inside the, the, the costume, he was a stand-in. He was just there to just stand in for setups and everything like that. But the person that was hired to play that character no-showed. And that's how he got in the movie. Wow. You fit the suit, bro. You know, he was here. You have to be in the right place at the right time. Well, Herbert Duncanson was. And granted, the makeup is the, is the star of the character. And, but dude... He sells a lot with his eyes because I'm pretty sure that yeah. based on the interviews I've seen, those are his real eyes. There are not any contacts in there. And I referred to him, what did I refer to him as? I, I referred to him as a railroad spike man or something, something like that. The spike. But damn, dude, his, the makeup on him. Sometimes when you see makeup like that, you can tell it's painted latex. It's, it looks like metal. It looks like these metal spikes are real and they're driven through his head and, and his body. But that's the one they spend the most time lighting and because there were so many points of reflection and things like that. Right. And I remember somebody at the time when the movie came out talking about, like, oh, they're ghosts. How can, I, how can I see the light reflecting off of their, you know what I mean? Right. I'm like going, yeah, but when was the last time you saw a ghost house lit like this and with yeah. and all glass? I mean, you can't really... <laughs> 
it's an it's an unusual situation, so you can't really apply that kind of real world logic to it. Yeah, it's dude. Come on, yeah, exactly. If you, if you're along for the ride, I mean, that's the least of your fucking problem. I mean, honestly, I mean, come on. You know, if you're buying in, you're buying in. If you're, you know, at that point, you're just nitpicking. I right. mean, I, dude, I, I, what I love about the, I love the whole concept of the Thirteen Ghosts, and I love all of the name on the DVD, and I think it's on the Shout Factory CD yeah. too. There's a, there's a, an original supplement uh, bit called the Ghost Files, which actually gives you. They go through each ghost, right. and they give you a little background. You know, the firstborn son, and they, you know, the, the gambler, the torso. You know, they go through all of them, and they're, they're like little blurbs. It's really cool. Yeah. And in my mind some point, like I said, there's probably a draft out there that you know, was, it was, I went into a little more detail about each of these guys, but like you said earlier, they probably really only had, you know, they're like, okay, man, we, we, we've got money to really go. We can, we can go balls out on three or four of these things, but right. Cause uh, the, what, what is it? The great child is kind of disturbing. I'm glad we don't see too much of the great child because yeah. it's kind of gross. It's kind of gross. <laughs> like, right. Like, <laughs> uh, it, I mean, I, I, it's, it's, it's like, holy shit, it's shocking, but I don't want to see it more than once or twice. And we don't, thankfully. It's perfectly fitting too, because the mother and the great child there, they were, the, their backstory is that they were part of a traveling freak show and, yeah. and not, you're not surprised buy that information when you come nope, across it. not when you see them. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> it makes perfect sense. And it was interesting too, is like, as the ghost files, he noted, except for one or two things, when you're looking at the list of ghosts, the 13 ghosts, they get more and more violent as far as how they died. And then of course that makes them the most dangerous the further you go in there. That's why the hammer and juggernaut, like 10th and 12th ghosts, and that's why they're most dangerous. I think that might be why we see them more than everybody else. Right. Because they're more recent. Right. There's some exposition early on about why the, the last few that they were captured were the more dangerous of the ghosts. So we did get a little bit of that in the in that junkyard scene. Right. Speaking of that junkyard scene, man, <laughs> that first kill where that dude gets folded. <laughs> oh, dude. Oh, so good. Best kill in the movie, though, is poor um, J.R. Bourne, yeah. the lawyer. Yeah. When uh, when he when he gets his, and I mean, it's it's my favorite moment. It, it was then, and it still is because he's playing such a dick. He's playing it perfect too. Oh yeah. And the look on his face, yeah. right before that the slide starts, yeah, is fucking great. Yeah. Again, the real stars of the film, the art, the design of the house. And the effects. And that's another thing too. It's some, the, the, the one or two deaths that you see in the beginning, like that you see close up anyway, in the beginning in the junkyard are the only kills that you see in the entire movie that aren't in the house. Right. When you see the lawyer's death, <laughs> when it happens all the way through until the completion of the sequence, I never felt that it, there was any element that wasn't practical. Oh, no, no, not at all. But you sometimes you'll get that the supplemental CG with it. And I didn't like sometimes like eye movements or something like that. Nope. How they pulled it off was a, a little bit with a physical and a little bit of, of digital trickery, but digital trickery in a different way. There's more of a comping going on in that CG because when he falls, when you see him from the front, he falls. I mean, that's just the actor falling right there, but it's so well done where they split him with the glass. It's yeah. Good stuff, man. And I'm not ruining shit for anybody because I've seen the movie four times and I'm still like yeah, twice in the last two months. And I'm like, fuck, that's such a great gag. It really is. And if you wonder if KMB came to play, fuck, there you go. 
That's yeah, right. I mean, yeah. they do. They brought their A game and then some. My overall take on this movie is, dude, it's good trashy fun. Yep. Uh, and I want to say one of the things I had said earlier, they had the cast, and it, but the thing about this kind of cast, it does leave you with the like, well, hey, man, anybody could die. Yeah. They could kill any one of these characters. I, I, you know, it's not like you show up and Sam Elliott is fucking, you know, and, and, and nobody's going to kill Sam Elliott, right? You know, Tony Shalhoub, sure. Monk, was was Monk, I don't know that Monk was in full stride yet at this point. Is this right before or is this to the beginning of Monk? I mean, I think I, at this point, I must have known him from Wings. <laughs> Probably. And Stark Raving Mad, which lasted for like a half a season or a season. But I don't know that Monk had come into play yet. But I mean, Shannon Elizabeth, she was hot off of the American Pie things. Any of them, they were all fair game, which kind of made it like, well, fuck, I don't know. They'd kill anybody. They, we, they killed F. Murray Abraham in the junkyard, <laughs> or so we thought. But, you know, there was nobody in there that you're like, okay, well. And again, very much like Haunted Hill, it's contained set. So, it's, again, the sort of Agatha Christie setup, right? Ten little Indians. Who's dying next? You know, right. the, the most of the question was not who's going to die. It was more like what order are they going to die and, right. and how are they going to die? Right. I mean, and on Shalhoub, yeah, he, at this point, he had only done features like Galaxy Quest the year, a couple of years before that, mm -hmm. a couple of years before that, of course, you know, his small part in Men in Black, IQ, Big Night. Yeah, he was, the Monk was about two years away. Yeah, he was still kind of doing his thing and playing little bit parts here and there, but always being a standout. He's fine in this. And I think is like when you see Monk and you've watched Monk and you're so affected by his performance in that show. Even though I've seen this movie before Monkey ever came around, it's hard to to, to navigate the performance. Yeah. <laughs> He's not doing Monk. It's not like Monk. It's not like he hasn't done Monk recently either. Right? Right. It's one of those career defining performances, right? Like yeah. maybe he wasn't Monk before, <laughs> but dude, in revisionist history, he was always Monk. Yep. You just can't shake Monk. I guess that I, this is a good number two. Yeah. It wouldn't have been on our number two months because it's not really a no, sequel. Because it's not really a sequel, then it's a remake of something. And it's, but it, it does qualify as a number two for Dark Castle. It works in a lot of ways. And it is a little bit of an evolutionary step in, in the production company that's going to lead to a couple other movies that are, that we have on the docket. If you look at them, there's a progression in production value and risk-taking as far as casting choices, story choices, and things like that. That's one thing also we talked about, and we will definitely get to, with the stuff that Dark Castle does, is that they have very specific, right? We have needs for the poster. We have needs for the studio to, to green light this. Yeah. But then there was also a need to put people in these movies that aren't considered actors. You got that with Raw Digga, and you get that with quote unquote actors in the next couple of movies that we cover. Right. This is like you said, Trashy Fun is a, is a perfect definition of the movie. And will I visit it again? Yeah, because you know what? If you don't have that Shout Factor release yet, pick it up because it's another one of those things that really makes you enjoy the movie more. And that's the key. And I think, again, Justin Beam's company, Reverend Entertainment, did the BTS and did the whole Blu-ray together. Just like with almost everything that that kicks ass coming out of Shout. Right. 
it's really a wonderful package. And, and, and uh, if you have a chance to pick it up when it's on sale, pick it up because it, it's an enjoyable movie and it's even more so once you get a chance to see those extras. And I can't wait to listen to the commentary because there's an old commentary for the original release and there's a brand new one. And I'm really looking forward to cracking those open somewhere in the near future. Yeah, it's uh, like I said, trashy fun. It's not going to win any awards. You know, and it's not, here's the other thing, it's not going to sit and linger in your brain. You're not going to think about it, <laughs> you know, which makes it perfect for, you know, rewatchability if you want if you know you, you want to put it on again in six eight months you know just because you want to watch something mindless and kind of entertaining it's a perfect thing because you might have forgotten about the lawyer you might have forgotten about you know the juggernaut by the next time you watch it <laughs> pow that's it so if you want to follow the show on twitter you can follow the show at karate pod if you want to follow us on letterboxd you follow cory at cory underscore cult or if you want to support the show on patreon it's patreon.com slash k-i-t-g podcast or live now is our Instagram account at Karate Pod. If you'd like to follow me, you can follow me at 13 Ghosts on Letterboxd. That's 13, T-H-I-R, the number one, the number three, E-N, Ghosts. Oh, now I just did all that for no reason because that's a lie. Uh, you can follow me at Tom Cody on Letterboxd. That's Tom Cody. Jogger